This is Mark Mullinax, and welcome to Power for the Peaceful, a podcast and class on Taoism. Episode 8, Endurance Practices. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. When you listen to the ground and you put your roots down, you can hear what she says if you're listening. The sweet sound of the river as she moves over the stones. The same song that the blood in your body sings as it weaves around your bones. When you're listening, when you're listening, are you listening? Self-help is no help at all. Self-sacrifice is the way, my way, to finding yourself, your true self. What kind of deal is it to get everything you want but lose yourself? What could you ever trade your soul for? Matthew 16, 25-26, The Message. Good day and welcome back. A huge thank you to to our quote reader and question asker, Terry Farless, a hospice nurse from Madison County, North Carolina. At the end of today's episode, Terry's question about desiring recognition for our service is probably one we have all asked ourselves. Throughout the episode so far, topics like darkness, emptiness, and questions like, what is Tao like, have dominated our time. Today we get, well, not a break from such things, more like a pause, as we see how Tao gets expressed in a single ethical teaching. To find your best life, be involved in others' lives. Here's my translation of verse 7, which I have entitled, Endurance Practice. Heaven is eternal, and earth is everlasting. What is their secret? How do they endure? Not having to live for themselves, they live long. Lighten your ego to live wisely. Leave self behind to move forward. Find yourself fulfilled in others. These are the practices of endurance. Treatment of this verse will come in two parts. At first, we'll speak about heaven and earth and how they endure. We have heard about heaven and earth before in verse 5, and there we saw that they are the empty stages for Tao's processes. In today's verse, some interpreters like to collapse heaven and earth into one word, Tao. Second, we'll address the ethics involved in our own endurance. Is there any connection between heaven and earth's endurance and our own? So here's part one. The teaching here focuses upon the utter endurance of Tao as long-lasting, as persisting through time, everlasting, and even ever-renewing. Tao is durable, enduring, lasting. Then the text, for the first time ever, asks of us readers a rhetorical question, a question that should linger in the reader's heart-mind when we address the second part of this verse. That rhetorical question, how 
does Tao last and last? Why is this so? If Tao is empty and silent, dark and mysterious, then how does Tao endure? Simple. The almost word-for-word rendition of the Chinese words here read like this. They endure because they, heaven and earth, do not for their own lives cling. Tao does not focus upon self-preservation. It has no concern for its own upkeep. To focus on self, giving time and energy for one's own desires and durability carries a completely different energy than focusing upon others. You can try it right now. In the space you're in right now, or have been in recently, imagine focusing only on your own desires, whatever they may be. Long life, comfort, future planning. Usually we start with ourselves and we end with ourselves. Kind of boring. But if you focus on others' needs, you can get out of your own head, heart, body. You transcend your own body's bag of skin, and you can feel what it's like to be someone else. That's called compassion. Compassion means literally to feel with. You can actually become engaged in projects and movements that predate your birth and will outlast your lifespan. And that is a totally different energy. Here's a thought. The only reason why you're here in the first place is because someone practiced compassion with you. Parents, schools, teachers, mentors. Simply put, we are who we are because of who has loved us. And now, in good golden rule fashion, we become completed as adults only when we help complete others. Paying forward the favors, benefits, and privileges we have been afforded. Tao endures for one simple reason. It has no high-maintenance self or ego to maintain. And that's it. Tao, if I may use the word loosely, embodies the practices we have seen over and over in our past six episodes. Emptying, silence, darkness, and mystery. Practices that I will not review again here, but in short, Tao, with nothing to show, nothing to protect, with hidden processes, Tao has done nothing needing self-defense. Tao has no karma of selfing, no history of self-maintenance. Tao endures not just because it was never born in the first place, but because it is inclusive. It has nothing to defend. No desires for self, no clinging, no living for itself. Keep a mental finger on this, for here is a beginning theme in Tao Te Ching, a theme of placing itself last and not leaning into living for itself. This we call selflessness, or even non-self. Now as we transition to the second teaching, stay in touch with your own sense of self. Most of us develop and then maintain, unnaturally I'll maintain, an artificial mental idea of what one is, or who one is, or how one is to look and act. We build up this public identity and defend that ego-assisted idea time and time again. Long story short, as we strive and spend treasure to, to establish 
and then maintain an identity, look, persona, or lifestyle, we do so at a very high karmic cost. Perhaps our major source of suffering is the high maintenance cost of that sense of self we overlay upon ourselves and the ways we socially present to the world. These ways are tiring, and perhaps they are artificial as well. This is a good place to introduce Taoism's understanding of the human self and the human nature. Remember verse 6 in the womb? We emerge out of the Tao womb like everything else. Every particle has an equality, an equal birthright, emerging from this one womb. Nothing higher than, lower than, greater than, worse than, or less than. We are just one species of millions, but connected to each. One thing among the infinite count of things, without hierarchy. No mandate to lord over, rule over, dominate, or subjugate. Instead, we are in radical interrelationship with all things in the cosmos, for we all emerged out of the mystic mother womb like a leaf from a tree. Our DNA, or being a, an earthling, or having a gender, the place or situation of birth, even our lifestyle, none of these matter. We are manifestations or extensions of the cosmos coming into and out of existence as naturally as one normal breath follows another. To fall in self-love is to date only one thing out of the infinite number of things. For those who want to save their life will lose it, and those who lose their life for my sake will find it. Jesus. Matthew 16.25, New Revised Standard Version. Taoism has no highly developed doctrine of the human self or personality. It's just that we enter our. We are defined, measured, and fulfilled only in relation to and in service to others. We're born, not self-centered, but selfless. We are originally like Tao, other-centered, because there's nothing innate in us that needs clinging to, showing off, or maintaining. Our mission and fulfillment comes not in practicing self-maintenance, but rather maintenance of the world in which we live. We practice Tao like Tao itself works. Tao does not for its own self clings. Tao's processes are selfless and egalitarian. Tao's focus is ever other-focused. The perfect person has no self. The spiritual person has no achievement. The true sage has no name. Chong Zhu. The self is not the chief. The self is not something to be paraded around like a prized possession. Almost every spirituality on earth teaches that the spiritual ideal is selflessness. But selflessness for a reason, for a cause and community larger than self. Humility is not thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. C.S. Lewis, Mere Christianity. Why is this so important? In order for truth to emerge, it needs a sacrifice. Instead, I speak only of setting aside one's own sacrosanct or idolized views. 
every spirituality in the world advocates neutralizing the ego. When we insert our ego-assisted views, opinions, or lines in the sand, we add an unnecessary and artificial complexity to situations, a complexity that breaks down precisely from all that energy we need to waste to maintain its artificiality. Like almost every spirituality on the planet today, Tao insists on the equality of all things. To teach this non-ego equality, spiritualities prescribe what I call soul surgery, which for us means a reversal of self-centeredness and other-centeredness, living for others, not just self. This is soul surgery, to invert self and other, to put the horse and the cart back in their correct order. Essentially, this soul surgery helps us to remember who we really are that, and that we are golden rule beings. You can quote a golden rule, can't you? Here's Buddhism's. When you see yourself in others, then whom can you harm? The Buddha. James H. Cohn was my professor at Union Seminary in New York City. He once told me something that I think about every day. In September of 1987, he told me after class one day, Mark, you are too white and privileged ever to be a follower of Jesus. You'll never get Jesus. Cohn saw the absolute horror in my face and continued his soul surgery. You'll use your privilege always to live apart from and out of earshot from the voices of the poor and underside of history. You'll never be a Christian. Forget about it. Of course, I immediately got reactive and so missed his spot on point. James Cohn was right, of course. Dr. Cohn issued me not just a Christian, but also a Taoist statement of fact. Surrounding my privileged self with self or with others who only mirror back to me my privilege means that I will never, and I, and I mean never, ever see, hear, or feel compassion with the suffering. I won't ever see the rest of creation or my trillion points of connection with all creation. All I'll ever see will be filtered by my ego-assisted fabrication of an artificial self. The more I put my selfhood first, the more neurotically sensitive to circumstances I become, and life grows increasingly complicated. I need this. I need that and I block out potential experiences with all creation by my ever-rising expectations. A simple, content life is out of reach. The more I am, the harder it is to know that you are. The only way to win this ego game is not even to play it. Like I said, every faith I know of prescribes this soul surgery. This is how the world endures. All that energy we pour into self-maintenance, if rechanneled into creation, enrichment, and maintenance, means endurance. Endurance means justice because people live longer, better, more healthily, when I stop diverting all the privilege of the world to my own ends. This is simple justice. Justice happens when we focus less on self and more on others. Live simply, so others may simply live. That quote has been attributed to Gandhi,
but actually it belongs to St. Elizabeth Ann Seton, the first Catholic saint born in North America. The Taoist, like any good human being, doesn't hang on to things. They don't worry about what they can't control. That's why they're always satisfied. This satisfaction is the fruit of becoming empty and going dark and going silent. This verse is the payoff. Not fulfilling oneself to the self, one is perfectly fulfilled through others. This is why we don't go through life alone. We marry, form partnerships, and join communities of accountability in order to learn how so much better it is to be fulfilled by filling others. Here's how J.H. MacDonald translated the last lines of verse 7. The master puts herself last and finds herself in the place of authority. She detaches herself from all things, therefore she is united with all things. She gives no thought to self. She is perfectly fulfilled. Verse 7 of Tao Te Ching speaks about the nature of life and how it should be lived. Inasmuch as heaven and earth take no thought for themselves, so may we. If heaven and earth have no ego, so may we. The more one gives, the more one has to give, and the more one can receive. This is just a fundamental spiritual principle, not just of Tao, but every spiritual discipline worthy of the name. By giving and helping others, one creates a cycle of positive energy that ultimately benefits everyone. As the saying goes, when everyone does better, then everyone does better. This is true endurance practice. Homework. Consider this. What if someone had not put us before them? Had parents, teachers, mentors, medical personnel not put us first at some point, then who would we be today? Make a list of all the people you can think of who put you before themselves. This could take a while. And then thank those who are alive at this moment. And now to Terry's question. While there is wisdom and fulfillment in living a life full of sacrifice, how does one escape the trap of craving recognition for, or worse, expecting repayment for the services provided, even when initially done with good intentions? Wow, Terry, this is such an important question. One that we've all struggled with, I think. Can we do something good for the right reason, at the right time, without an ego surge, without signaling a desire for recognition? Can we ever get to that pure moment of service to others without wanting our name attached? First of all, let's remember one Taoist claim. We are originally good, peaceful, harmonious. We naturally want to serve others without the need for recognition. When we forget our original natures, well, we can get into some trouble. So taking a cue from Tao's original peace that is inborn and part of our heritage and birthright, it is natural for us to be fulfilled in service to others. On the flip side, it is unnatural to act just to be rewarded. That is not what we are made of or made for. So can we trust this original intrinsic harmony where we really want to be useful to others? 
rather than be ever surrounding oneself with ego-assisted cravings for recognition? So recognize this, how the rewards we feel while serving others always have somewhere an intrinsic motivation. Even that rogue Hans Solo in Star Wars wanted his recognition to do, but he ended up acting true to himself, not for the money or recognition, but because it was the right thing to do for his community. Likewise, at your depth, you want the best for others, and you know that when you serve others, and you can feel that quiet rush of something good happening without your ego being stroked. Like Hans, the universe no longer makes sense by acting out of ego. But we wonder, does that pure feeling ever become 100% of our motivations? For we know that ego is ever seeking its strokes, and that ego hormone does pollute our sense of service, right? But here's my belief. As you go forward and serve others, over time and with practice, the intrinsic rewards and the connections you make with others grow stronger. And I believe outweigh, outshine, and crowd out the ego's desire for extrinsic rewards until the need for extrinsic rewards actually disappear, evaporate, and extinguish themselves. Doing something for show is an artificial and small way to act, and I believe such shows get boring. This, by the way, corresponds to the Buddha's third noble truth, which teaches that nirvana, or life without desire, is not only possible, but practicable. Finally, Terry, your question reminds me of my students. Most come into the college classroom pretty hooked on extrinsic rewards. Many are there for the grade, to be on someone's dean's list, to satisfy some requirement, or to impress people. They are not there at all for the class or its content. And even when they make an A, it somehow feels hollow. But you know, there are always a few students who come into the class pretty pumped up by the class content, the subject matter, and a mere grade at the end of the semester defines nothing for them. They're not there for the grade, but because the class meets them where they are, and their reward is just being there, participating, reading, preparing. They're not there for the extrinsic grade, but for the intrinsic reward. Terry, I am hopeful we can make progress on that spectrum from extrinsic motivation to a more intrinsic reward to act according to our original self. For I believe our deepest experiences are our surrendering moments of service for the sole sake of others. And what we do with others returns many times over in karmic rewards. Here are some excerpts from a poem that came to me recently. It describes what I'm trying to say. Nick Askew wrote this poem called The Grand Predicament. Most of us live with an underlying sense that we are not enough and assume that until we are, we cannot truly belong. We assume that we must become a better version of ourselves, but we're never quite enough in this relentless pursuit of belonging. We are lost to a never-ending self-improvement. Might we have been looking out there when all along it had been within us? Might we already be the version we had been seeking Beyond the endless game of fixing what is seemingly broken, there exists a profound experience of knowing that there is no one to fix. 
that we are enough as we are and that we belong without condition. In a moment of surrender, in a moment of not seeking, the experience can be re-known. Nothing changes, but everything is somehow different. And then everything begins its transformation. This podcast is an original labor of love, designed, written, and co-produced by many, whose central idea is that Tao Te Ching is good news for today. Tao still speaks. Thanks to Terry Farless for her voice and question. Audrey Davis is our artist. Molly Hartwell donated her song, Put Your Roots Down. Fortress Press holds the copyright for quotations from my Tao Te Ching translation. May your days begin in peace and become wombs for radical hope. As it weaves around your bones When you're listening When you're listening Are you listening?